You're listening to Work Tape, episode 89. Welcome to another edition of the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Groove and Grover. So we're going to continue a little bit of some discussion that we had in the last couple of episodes. We've been really getting a lot recently into the production side of music. And as great as music news and talking about individual albums is and whatnot, I think one of the big things that we try to do here at the Work Tape Podcast is try to get you a little bit behind the scenes of just how some of these great albums were made. Thus, our recent series in production, we covered mostly hip-hop over the last couple of weeks by talking about producers such as Dr. Dre and even Nile Rodgers, who inspired and got sampled on a lot of classic hip-hop tracks. And now we're transitioning more into the rock arena. We have mentioned a couple of different times the significance of producers like Butch Vig. And of course, when you mention Butch Vig, Nevermind comes to mind. Uh, of course, being that it was such a transformative album. In a way, it feels on this podcast that everything goes back to a couple of different things. Nirvana's Nevermind being one of them and Kanye being another one. Somehow it seems that no matter what we talk about, it always circles back to either Nirvana or Kanye. And Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Let me not forget (laughs) Radiohead, too. We have to be a little bit like Pitchfork, just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's all right. I mean, I, I don't mind. I mean, just as long as we're not viewed as pretentious sometimes as some people who really follow Pitchfork are, then I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> but Pitchfork has gotten kind of a, a little bit of a reputation over the last couple of years of kind of being a bit snobby. I think you and I are snobby, but I think there's a way to do it. I think that we're snobby, but we try to be really open-minded, though. Despite the snobbiness, we at least have the open mind to where we'll give credit where credit is due. Like, if an artist that we don't expect to put out a great album puts out a great album, we're not going to, like, discredit it because it is said artist, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. As as opposed to many music critics and music aficionados who will simply just not listen to it if it's a certain artist and won't give credit where credit is due. I mean, you know, one example would be, and this is kind of a hypothetical example in the rock arena. Let's just say that Greta Van Fleet put out a great album. I would give Greta Van Fleet the credit for putting out a great rock album. Despite the fact that the last couple of albums I have not cared for, despite the fact that I think they're one of the most derivative bands that I've heard in the last five years, if they manage to put out something solid, then I'm going to give them credit for it, as opposed to uh, many folks who just simply will not, based off of the name. But uh, let's not get into that. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to go really big, but I wasn't going to insult them. But yes, let's move forward. Yeah. Uh, But Butch Vig, so... Butch Vig, of course, never mind being one of the big 
probably his magnum opus, I guess, or kind of the crown jewel of his career was all of his production work with Nevermind. I mean, and if you really want to get into the production of, of why that album sounds great, I mean, for it being a grunge album, for it being an album that is intentionally kind of loud and raucous and distorted, it sounds very clean. And that's the one thing that I really appreciate about Butch Vig is that his production is extremely clean. Now, with him being a drummer for the band Garbage, who also has a lot of great stuff on their own, uh, there's definitely an emphasis in the drums. And of course, with you know tracking and recording Dave Grohl, one of the better rock drummers of the last 20 years, there's going to be an emphasis on the drums for sure. But honestly, the thing that really surprises me about listening to Nevermind is actually, you can distinguish a lot of the instruments really clearly. Even though guitars and drums are definitely at the forefront, I can still hear a lot of the individual elements, especially on a good set of speakers or headphones. And with the way that it was remastered, I think they did a good job with the remastering of that album, too. Yeah, I think it's one of the better remasters. I mean, maybe it's just because the, you know, I have a theory, but it's probably not really much of a theory. I think it's probably just a fact and I'm just reiterating something that's redundant. Um, reiterate redundant. I think that's redundant. Uh, anyway, I think the master really is only as good as a mix. Absolutely. Yep. So I think it's just a testament to how well the album was produced slash mixed in the first place that it really works as a good remaster. Yeah, you can't, um, you can't screw up a master though, but still. Yeah, you can't, uh, you can't remaster garbage and expect great things to come to come out unless it's actual garbage versus just garbage (laughs) right because the actual garbage records the band sound pretty good even still but i mean kind of looking through butch's production credits i mean sonic youth 2 l7 the smashing pumpkins with siamese dream yes I mean, that was a huge album, too. Like, I mean, you know, in terms of the kind of 90s rock movement, Siamese Dream, I think, is kind of, I don't want to say it's right up there with Nevermind, because let's be really honest that culturally, I don't think anything is really going to top the impact of Nevermind. No, no. But Siamese Dream did have some very, very good singles on it. Cherub Rock uh, was probably the most notable one. Really? Not today? Yeah, that also had today, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that one's pretty big. But yeah, I think today is like that pop rock. Oh, for sure. That's the one everyone likes to sing. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I used to hate that song, dude. I So full disclaimer, I used to really hate. First off, I couldn't stand Billy Corgan. I used to hate his voice. Number two. I used to think Pumpkin's production per week. I really used to think that they sucked. And this is because not only was I arrogant, but number two, I was also very close-minded to what a good mix was because I was so biased toward the saturation of Nevermind. I mean, you listen to Nevermind and it's like this wall of sound just like engulfing you and just aggression. Yeah. And yes, it's poppy and we can get into how, oh, well, it's overproduced. 
yes, I can hear where it's definitely relatively an overproduced record of the 90s, but I also think that that's the beauty of it. It's similar to the 90s sound, but it's also different. And you could say, well, it has too much 80s pop pristine production enveloped around it. Well, I guess you could say that, but I also think that that attributes to its charm and its uniqueness among a lot of really muddy and really unintelligible mixes of the 90s. I'm not saying all of them did, but I think Nevermind was cool. And I'm glad that they actually branched out of that and did In Utero, because In Utero is probably, in my opinion, one of my, yeah, I do like the mix. And I think that it's cool that Albini did something, you know, that his production style is different than, you know, the way Andy Wallace and Butch would go about things. But I still appreciate what Albini did, but it's not my favorite mix. I much prefer the thick sound of Nevermind. So I do like Butch's mentality when he approaches things. And I guess he could slash Andy Wallace in there as well. Mm. Now, with Butch's work with Pumpkins on Simon's Dream, I just kind of, again, paired with Billy's voice, I just felt like it sounded thin. I think you can hear what I'm saying. I thought that Simon's Dream, like today to me, was not only too poppy for me, but it sounded so thin. I wanted that Nevermind feeling from a mm. Pumpkins record, which you're probably going to get more like from Melancholy anyway. But even then, I thought Simon's dream was weak. And so I was like lame. And so I passed by it. But, you know, as I got older and less stupid, which I don't really think I am, but in a way I did because I kind of came to and I was like, oh, shoot, like Pumpkins Productions, not all of them, but Simon's dream included are rad. They're really well done. And I'm glad that they don't sound like, you know, never mind. I'm glad that they don't sound like every other rock band. I think it's good when we have these changes and these differences, because even though I might not have appreciated them at a previous point in my life, I think I typically come to, you know, come to my senses, whatever you want to call them. And I, I tend to later appreciate something that I didn't previously before or hadn't previously before. So, yeah. Yeah. And also make note, this is kind of like a sub note. I think uh, Steve Albini. It was either him or Butch Vig that worked on Bulldozer in the late 80s. I don't know if you listened to Bulldozer. I do not. But uh, proceed. I just wanted to make a note because I thought that it's worthy to note that they are definitely different. Oh, and I also came to that Billy Corrigan. I, now I'm obsessed with the way he sings. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Simon Stream is, I mean, without that album, I think, the Smashing Pumpkins, I think, really wouldn't have been put on kind of more of the mainstream map, to be really honest. I think that with Today and Cherub Rock, I mean, those are kind of like staples in the 90s alternative movement. And so many people got onto those songs actually by like Rock Band or Guitar Hero. Um, I believe those were in, um, I think Cherub Rock is in Rock Band 1, and I think Today is... Also in either Guitar Hero or Rock Band. I'm not sure which one. I think it is in Rock Band. It's it maybe, maybe I'm forgetting too, but yeah, that's yeah. what I heard today as well. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that Billy Corgan actually got in the game too. Like they made a... Mannequin? <laughs> they made like a digital version of it, which is interesting. It works. No, it, it really does, but it's it's just interesting. And then also... Kind of just looking at, once again, Butch Vig's production credits. I mean, a, a ton of work with the Foo Fighters, too, which, of course, makes tons and tons of sense. Was it Wasting Light? That was the one that he did with them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sonic Highways as well. Oh, yeah. Both of them pretty good. I actually think that Wasting Light is a little underrated. Not only underrated, it's also superior to Sonic Highways. Yeah. And and there's some just some great, great songs on that Wasting Light album. And actually, Butch Vig is pretty responsible as well for one of the last great Green Day albums, which was 21st Century Breakdown. Oh, yeah, the production on that is rad. And you might hate me for this. I think I told you Green Day weren't necessarily a favorite of mine. It has nothing to do with their technicality. They're a great band. It's not that. That's not the problem. I just never took to their style. Mm -hmm. But uh, 21st Century, when I heard that and when I heard American Idiot, those two albums sonically are some of the best I've ever heard in rock. Oh, yeah. Actually, in popular music as a whole, but yes. Yeah. So with both of those albums, first of all, I didn't know that Butch Vig actually did the production of 21st Century Breakdown until very recently. I thought it was Chris Lord Alge on both of them. Yep, yep. Chris has a similar uh, sonic profile as well. And I used to mix up the way they both do things. Yeah, because so much of, of American Idiot was done by CLA. And actually, a lot of rock music at that time was done by Chris Lord Alge. Muse. <laughs> yeah, and then CLA went on to do a, a successful line of plugins that everybody uses now. So me included. CLA vocals, you know, so as an example. But yeah, I think that 21st Century Breakdown was probably like the last really good Green Day album. I agree with that take. Yeah, because then after that, Green Day kind of went a little off a cliff because they did the whole like Uno Dos Trey thing, which mm, yeah, it was okay, huh? I just did not like. And then they kind of tried to go back to that kind of American idiot sound with the kind of revolution radio thing. But I think that that didn't quite exactly hit. And then let's not talk about father. Um, that's just, <laughs> let's, let's really not. That's just the, I mean, I, I agree with Fantano's take on father of all, which is that green day did everything on that album that they weren't doing in the mid two thousands that every other band was in the mid 2000s. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like bands like Jet and like Garage Revival stuff, you know? Okay, so that stuff is a huge hit or miss and we'll have to touch on that <laughs> for sure later. Yeah. But anyway, back to 21st though. Um yeah, the production on that is really good, especially for a mid 2000s rock album. It doesn't suffer from like the loudness war type of mixing and whatnot that so many albums did back in the day where it was just like compressed, you know, basically <laughs> to, to nothing. And then they upped the volume and it ruined honestly, some really good albums, like some really good albums are kind of ruined by the fact that there was this weird obsession with let's make this as loud as possible. Like, Sometimes it worked to the benefit, but I think it became such a cliche that, yes. Yeah. And like I said, there's some great albums that were unfortunately kind of affected by that. That kind of ties back to your point of um, the master or remaster is only as good as the mix. If the mix is too much on that loudness war thing, no matter how much you remaster it, it's not going to really work. But anyway, no, um, I love both American Idiot and 21st Century Breakdown, I think 
that those were both great albums for Green Day. I think that them doing that sound, um, despite, especially with American Idiot at the time, it, American Idiot was kind of a big risk for Green Day to kind of do that conceptual rock opera kind of thing. Mm, good point. You mean kind of like what MCR were doing, like later on? Yeah, 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 it, because 94 was Dookie, you know, right? And that was the one that, you know, really put them on the map. And then they, of course, had great albums like Nimrod, too. Um, I actually thought Warning wasn't too bad of an album either. But I think that really, like, Nimrod and Dookie were kind of, like, really good in regards to true punk Green Day. Mm -hmm. Like, the true pop punk Green Day, I would say it's going to be those two albums. And then I think they just really swung for the fences with American Idiot and kind of continued it with 21st Century Breakdown. I actually kind of think that that's almost one album. I almost kind of view it as one continuous album, despite the fact that they're two separate albums. Oh, as an era in a way, right? Yeah, it's like one continuous kind of experience just because the subject matter of both of the albums is, is very similar in the sense that it's, you know, critiquing a lot of politics mm -hmm. and society at large. Did it feel a little bit like a double album to you? Kind of. Kind of. I mean, I think that, like, American Idiot does, like, have a bookend more. And I think that with 21st, they kind of just picked up where the bookend of American Idiot left off, um, more or less. So it's not like what's going on where I feel like it is like, you know, with what's going on, like the first six tracks, I feel like is one song that's just like continuous, despite the fact that it is broken up. I feel like it's one kind of big piece of expression, especially with how the songs kind of go into each other. And Green Day actually did that a lot on more on Idiot than on 21st with that kind of multiple songs for the price of one kind of um i think there was some songs i did that were like eight nine minutes and they were like four or five different songs uh in one but no the production on on both of those albums is great both of those albums i think have aged actually really well in terms of just musically um from a production standpoint I think um, it's aged just really, really well. And I think it's it's has better longevity than a lot of 2000s rock records do. Yes, yes, I totally agree with that. And it's worth noting that Dookie, as well as Idiot, both come up on their century anniversaries next year. So that's weird. Yeah, that's right. So 30 and 20. Oh, four and then 94. Yeah. So that's pretty wild. To think that American Idiot is 20 years old is crazy, just as I remember. Um, I remember listening to that album extensively when I was younger. That was kind of one of the, the first real albums that I really ever got. But for sure, right now, we are appreciating the anniversary of uh, Siamese Dream as well as, what was the other one? In Utero, yeah. In Utero, yeah. Mm -hmm. Both of them are, like I said, fantastic. We'll give some more in-depth analysis later, though. Yeah, I would definitely say with In Utero, for sure, we could do an entire episode on In Utero. Definitely. Just because it was such a departure 
from Nevermind and the fact that everybody was anticipating that Nirvana was going to do Nevermind Part 2 <laughs> because of how successful it was. And then they're like, nope, we're not going to do that at all. We're going to do this other thing. You know, so I fawn over the production of Nevermind way over In Utero, but I really appreciate that they pulled an In Utero instead. Oh, yeah. I like the songwriting of In Utero, too, I think. Agreed. I think Kurt really opened himself up a lot more. Um, I mean, Heart Shaped Box is a classic, you know, amongst other great tracks that I just, I'm not naming right now. Um, but, yeah, so that is, I think, a really good spot to bookend this particular episode of the work tape podcast, but uh, stay tuned y'all because we got some great episodes ahead and a little bit of reference to the loudness wars. We can talk about Rick Rubin and how, where he was um, some of the albums that he contributed to kind of unfortunately suffered from the loudness war kind of thing, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they are great albums. Nevertheless, I'm specifically kind of getting at RHCP um, with Rick Rubin and Californication. So that's kind of uh, something that can be coming up. Although I think Rick Rubin also did Blood Sugar as well. Oh, he did, huh? I'm pretty sure he did. That was 91, wasn't it? Mm, 90, I'm not sure. I thought it was 93, but... I know, I know. I keep thinking it's three or one, but I almost feel like it's one. Hold on, hold on. And uh, you are correct. 91. Wow. 91 was a great year for music. Gee. Wow. It was a good year. Yeah. 91 and 93 were kind of good. Not going to lie. Yeah. Blood Sugar. Uh, Nevermind. Low End Theory. I mean. Yeah. Low End. Uh-huh. That was a stacked year. Um, so wow. 93 is pretty stacked. No one talks about Melvin's that often, but uh, Houdini is also 93. So, But I know we'll totally get into that later. Absolutely, but, yeah. So yeah. definitely <laughs> stay tuned for the next couple episodes. Uh, Rick Rubin, um, his contributions to rock and hip-hop. And then uh, Brian Eno, too. I mean, Brian Eno is a huge, huge producer. And we talked a little bit about Radiohead as it all goes back to but, you know, Brian Eno was so instrumental and so responsible for ambient and electronic music and just shaping so many bands. I mean, like U2, Talking Heads, Coldplay. So Brian Eno definitely deserves an episode himself, even just off of those three bands, honestly, in regards to impact on the rock scene and incorporating electronic music into it as well. And of course, uh, yeah, CLA, I mean, Chris Lord Alge dominated the early to mid-2000s rock scene, so we can definitely discuss CLA as well. That thick, creamy, pop-centered, hard rock, oh, it's so good. Yeah, no, definitely. So, all right, well, this has been an edition of the Work Tape Podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell, Isaac Rubin Grover. Uh, work Tape forever. Stay hydrated. Adios. Adios.